you could preach a spontaneous 20-minute exhortation about singing, quoting about 77 verses on singing, right? Amen. Amen. So I can hear him. But that's that's what he's doing right now in eternity. Amen. Psalm 84 gives us a perspective about the believer in our journey. The perspective of the Christian pilgrim. And it's things that we do and it's things that God promises and it's the perspective that we should have. Psalm 84, we'll read it. It is good to be home, by the way. Good to see you, brother. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praises. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca and make it a place of springs, the early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointing. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Let's let's pray again. Father, right now help me to speak your word in a way that is accurate and life-giving. I pray that you would right now give us your spirit. And speak to us words of life. This time is yours. We are yours. Strengthen us in our journey. Help us on toward heaven. Sanctify us more. And apply this song to our hearts. We look to you. Through Jesus Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. The Christian's perspective about 
things is monumental. It's really everything. Meaning, how the Christian views things controls their whole life. If you have a negative, pessimistic, even bitter, sour, uh, unbelieving attitude, that's your perspective, and it affects everything. It affects how you think, what you think of people. It affects how you view yourself. It affects how you relate to this world. The Christian's perspective is, in one sense, everything, because it has to do with our mind and truth governing our mind. And so, um, the believer's perspective about God and about the kingdom of God and about the church, how we view the church, and how we view our journey, how we view our troubles and our, and our trials, how we view um, God's promises to us. This psalm is really a, about perspective. And so you see that in verse 1. Let's just, let's just glean through this psalm tonight here in these few minutes what David really emphasizes, what he really says. And he starts out showing us his perspective about God's dwelling place. And he says, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. So this is perspective. David sees God's dwelling place and all that pertains to the Lord and all that pertains to his kingdom, God's dwelling place. We know that has to do with the church now, right? Because Ephesians says, we are the habitation of God through the Holy Spirit. So David's perspective is, how lovely is everything about God and His kingdom and all that He's doing. How lovely it is. That's got to be the Christian's perspective. And it's so easy sometimes for it not to be ours. We can view things as average mediocre, unimportant, not treasure what we have in the things of God. Our perspective has to be kept fresh and accurate and appreciative, seeing Christianity and the things of God as lovely. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts? And because that was David's perspective, in verse 2, his heart follows that perspective. My soul, what? Longs, yes, beyond that. Ratchet it up a notch. Not only longs and desires, but faints this, this earnest, hungry desire for the courts of the Lord. And so here, the believer, we see the first thing that's happening is they are ever longing for the kingdom of God and all that it pertains pertains to it. My soul longs, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy. Ever longing. We have to keep ourselves there. Because our perspective can get cloudy and discouraged and beaten down and defeated 
And when our perspective is clouded, everything in our Christian life is clouded. This is why it's so vitally important for the Christian to have continually the renewing of the mind and letting the Word of Christ dwell in us richly in all wisdom and we keep ourselves renewed in our perspective. We have to have this in marriage, don't we? Viewing our husbands, our wives rightly, viewing our family rightly, perspective is everything. So David moves from perspective to longing, ever longing, and then this word in verse 2, the second half of verse 2, a heart and flesh, what? Sing for joy. You notice this down in the bottom of verse 2. I'm sorry, 4. He also says, ever singing your praises. So, the Christian is ever to be longing for kingdom reality. And we're, we're ever to be singing. How much is singing the praises of God a part of your walk? It's the only time you sing when you're here in a meeting. Ever singing your praises. Now you go back go back a couple of psalms to Psalm 81. David starts that out with these commands. Sing aloud to God. Your singing as a Christian is important. Your singing is a direct ministry to the Lord. It is an act of worship. It is commanded. It is important. And how often do we go, come into a meeting, other things are on our mind, we can sing a song, we can mouth the words, but half of it's not even registering with us. The truth isn't soaking in. It's not encouraging us because we're not really engaged in singing. We kind of just treat singing as, well, this is what we do at first, and it's right to sing, but we've got to get to the sermon. No. Singing to the Lord is vitally important. Singing renews our mind to the truth, and it prepares us to hear the Word of God. It's going to come. Sing aloud to God, and it's to be Him. It is to be unto Him. I've often said, hymns or songs that we sing are either horizontal, we sing truth to build one another up, we're singing about our journey, or often aren't they hymns or prayers? They're directed directly to God. So whether we're singing hymns to Him, or we're singing truth that, you know, Paul talked about singing um, psalms and and hymns and spiritual songs one to another, singing and making melody in your heart. So, Psalm 84 says, the Christian is ever singing. Where does that fit into your walk? Is singing important to you? Singing the things of God. I have been driving a lot in recent days and I'll just turn on hymns and I just let them sink in, wash me, in my mind. And then a hymn, somebody will sing, sing a hymn and a truth will suddenly become fresh and real and I'll just camp out there a little while. 
we ought to really have singing as a real part of our Christian journey. But we often don't know. So he's ever longing, he's ever singing. And notice verse 5. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. He's ever onward. Not just the perspective of longing for the things of God. Not just ever singing, but ever onward. Never neutral. Never backward. Never onward. As the Lord sees each of us, and as other believers see our walk, are they seeing an onward Christian? Or do they see someone lagging behind in their sanctification? Ever onward, when it says here, blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the what? Highways. Now, highways made for what? Not playing in the street. Highways for getting somewhere. Highways for going on. Are the highways designed in your heart? Ever longing, ever singing, ever onward. This is the Christian journey. This is the perspective of a true Christian. An unbeliever won't be interested in any of this. It's boring. Because it's not in his heart at all. So, and then you have something else. Verse 6. As, as we are ever onward, <clears throat> all of us at times come to Baca Boulevard. And it's in a valley. As they go through the valley of Baca. Now, most of you know what the valley of Baca represents. What does Baca mean? Weeping. Weeping. It, in Hebrew, it also means the place of trouble. So, here is this pilgrim longing, singing, ever onward, and as he goes on, he comes to this place. It's a valley of weeping and sorrow and trouble. What do you do then? Can't go back. Can't escape it. You go through it. As they go through the valley of Baca, you come to a troublesome time. You have one, we have one of two ways to respond. We can either fear, we can get bitter, we can fall into discouragement and depression, and there are other things we can name. But we do have a choice. Look what he did here. Look what they do here. As they go through the valley of Baca, what do they do with it? They make it what? A place of springs. Huh. You mean my troubles can be turned into a source of spiritual life? My trouble can be turned into a source of growth and blessing and encouragement? A place of springs. What's that hymn that says? Gushing from the rock before me, yeah. lo, a spring of joy I see. 
if we, by God's grace, if we could get to the place, every trial that falls from God, every sudden sickness, every unexpected surgery that makes you afraid, every heartache that comes, every trial that's beyond your ability to handle it, every every single walk in the valley of Baca, we can make it a place of springs. God wants to help us to do that. It doesn't have to swap us out. It doesn't have to defeat us. It doesn't have to make us turn and run back. If there's anything that's amazing about the Pilgrim's Progress, it's that Christian, no matter what he faced, he said, I'm going on. I am not turning back. I have one destination. Come vanity affair, they kill my friend. Come the lions right by the path. It is scary to walk right by them. No matter what. Christian turned every valley of Baca into a place of springs. Now, here's the question. Can we look back on our lives and say, I failed the test at this trouble place. I was in self-pity at this one. I was just depressed in this one and finally God brought me out of it. And I see I didn't respond to that. In this one, I was so discouraged I withdrew from the brethren I didn't even want anybody in my life. The Valley of Baca doesn't have to be a place of defeat. But it's all about our perspective. It, for me, for you, can we say by the grace of God, this, this valley of trouble and weeping, I'm going to trust the Lord to make it a place of spiritual life and blessing. So, ever, ever longing, ever singing, ever onward, and making our valley of Bacchus into a place of springs. But look at verse 7. Ever growing. Are you growing as a Christian? Every Christian is growing. We don't perceive our growth sometimes. Sometimes it seems like two steps forward, four back, one forward, two back, three forward, two back. We sometimes feel like I haven't grown in a year. It's not true. It's impossible for a Christian not to grow. Why? Somebody just tell us out loud right now why it's impossible for a Christian not to grow. If there's one thing you could say why, what would it be? Well, we got the Holy Spirit. Exactly. That's it. The Spirit of the living God dwells in you. You're the temple of God, the life of God in the soul of man. You have eternal life in you like a well of living water, and growth is happening. You're alive spiritually. You can't not be growing. Even the trees in the dead of winter that look dead, that are alive, there's life there. And so... Here's what's true of you as a Christian. You are going from strength to strength. This says, it doesn't say they should go from strength to strength. He says they go from strength to strength 
There's perseverance. There's sanctification. It's happening. And it doesn't matter what your judgment or your evaluation of your own growth is. It's happening. You are going from strength to strength. And here's the certain promise. Every Christian appears before God in Zion. You're going to make it. Amen. Certainty. Amen. Everyone appears before God in Zion. Even me. Tom, I'm going to make it. You're going to make it. Now, verses 8 and 9, 8, this pilgrim in this journey, he's always praying. And who does he pray to? What does the psalmist here address God as? One of my favorite phrases about the Lord, O God of Jacob. O God of Jacob. Psalm 81, don't turn back there, the psalmist says it twice in a row, the God of Jacob. Now, when you think about who Jacob was, what does God being called the God of Jacob conjure up in your mind? What would that mean? Why is the psalmist calling him the God of Jacob? Anybody have an idea? Here's mine. Here's my two cents worth. You can throw a penny back at me if you think it's not worth it. Jacob was a deceiver, a surplanter, a manipulator, and the absolute epitome of a rascal, scoundrel, ripping everybody off, not trustworthy. You know, Jacob comes over for dinner. Go to the bedroom and lock your wallet up somewhere. Because if he goes down the hall to the restroom, the next day you might see your wallet gone. Jacob was just a rascal. God is the God of Jacob. In that the, the worst, the, the most hopeless one you think God can change, God changes. God changed Jacob. Jacob became Israel, prince with God. And a beautiful picture is when he wrestled with the angel and God brought him to the end of himself and he's broken and he comes, at the break of day, he comes over the hill halting, limping. God had won the battle. Jacob had won the battle too, but Christ had won the battle. Christ had won the man. So, you, you might feel like I'm the lowest, I'm the least, all I see is my sin. But he's the God of Jacob. And every time I read in the Psalms where they address God as the God of Jacob, I just love it. I love to pray to him, the God of Jacob, because he saved such a sinner like me. He's the God of Jacob. The God of all grace. The God who can save anybody and change anybody. Let me hurry on. Here's perspective, verse 10. A day in your courts is better. Period. One day as a Christian, one day with the saints of God is better than a thousand days elsewhere. That is perspective. That's seeing things rightly. I'd rather be with you in Sedalia 
in New York City or London or LA or Dallas with wealthy people or famous people in the tents of wickedness. Amen. I'd rather be with you and it would be better to be with you. That's that's the perspective of the Christian. Yes. I'd rather be at Bob and Joan Rage's house for a week than in the Alps of Switzerland with a bunch of strangers. Perspective. Yes. Yes. I'd rather be a, be a doorkeeper. I'd rather be the janitor here at Hallam Chapel than a senator in Washington, D.C. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God. Now look at verse 14. Here's a big promise. This is a huge promise for the believer. And this is for you. The Lord God is a sun and shield. He is your sun. It lightens your life and, and brings full light in all things, spiritually and morally. The Lord God is a sun and a shield. And you know what He gives? <clears throat> I like the King James better. He gives grace and glory. He gives favor and honor. This is perpetually, that's what He's doing for the, for the Christian. And then notice the end of verse 11. This is fantastic promise. No good thing does He withhold from those who walk uprightly. Don't hold your hand up. Anybody here, still here, that would like to be married? God hadn't done that yet. No good thing will He withhold from those who walk uprightly. For a Christian, if they walk uprightly, seek first the kingdom. If, if, if something is good for them, God's going to give it. No good thing will He withhold for those who walk uprightly. That's a blessed promise. It's really a blessed promise. And then in verse 12, you have this one of these forgotten beatitudes. I remember Vance Hadner commenting one time, when John the Baptist, after he got martyred, and then Jesus preaches a biographical sermon on John, uh, then Jesus said, Blessed is he who is what? Not offended. Not offended in me. Vance Hadner said. The Lord said, Blessed is the one who doesn't get a burr under his saddle about how I run my kingdom. Blessed is he who doesn't get upset about how I do things. Who doesn't get offended about how I run my kingdom. That's a forgotten beatitude. But here's a, a good one. Blessed is the one who trusts in you. Oh, the blessedness of the Christian who has their perspective right, who's ever longing for the courts of the Lord, who's ever seen, who's ever going onward, who when they come into a, a valley of Baca, by the grace of God, they quit feeling sorry for themselves, they trust Him, and it turns into a place of springs, spiritual life. And you're holier and you're more encouraged and you're stronger after the valley than when you came into it. 
and you live life saying, Lord, it's better to be a Christian with your people than anywhere else on earth. I'd rather be there because it is better. And then God puts on you this title, blessedness. She's blessed because she trusts in the Lord. Oh, the blessedness of the one who trusts in the Lord. This psalm is so fantastic. These psalms, we ought not just to read them, we ought to pray through them. Just pray some psalms. Our perspective would lighten. Our load would lighten. We'd see how rich we are as Christians. We'd see that our earthly burdens, these light afflictions, are working for us a far more exceeding eternal way of glory. And it all has to do with our perspective. One of the greatest things a Christian can pray regularly, Lord, keep my mind renewed. I'm going to stay in the Word. I'm going to worship with your people. I'm going to feed on the truth preached to me. But keep my mind renewed to the truth. Give me a Christian perspective. Don't let me believe lies. But cause me to keep the perspective that the Christian must have. Where are we in this? Things that we don't have the right perspective about will rob us, defeat us, steal from us, and potentially can wipe us out. So blessed is the one who's ever longing and ever singing ever marching onward and making sure that his trust is ever in his good shepherd. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight for Psalm 84, this, just this glimpse of it, this evaluation briefly of the massive and Marvelous truths that are here. Make these things real to us, Lord. You said here, even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest. Lord, if each of us have a place, if even a little bird has a place in your courts, how much more does every Christian have importance, have a place? Lord, make these truths real to us and strengthen us. Help us to go from strength to strength. Thank you that you're the God of Jacob. Thank you that a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. Mm -hmm. Thank you that you are our sun and our shield and that you give grace and glory. And that no good thing will you withhold from those who walk with you and walk uprightly. Blessed Lord is the one you have said who trusts in you. And we say tonight, blessed is the Lord our God. Thank you so much for Psalm 84. Seal it in our hearts. And bring it out in our lives. Amen. Anyone have a word or something you want to say?